Welcome, 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 everyone, to another episode of Workplace Therapy. It's a weekly podcast where we discuss the impact of work on our lives and invest in doing the work of healing together. My name's Scott Arietta. I'm the founder and CEO of Unity & Company. It's a consulting firm that leverages a strategic understanding of human experiences to help organizations unlock best-in-class performance. So today in Workplace Therapy... We're going to be discussing how the roles we take on at work have shaped the way that we show up in other areas of our lives. Specifically, we're going to be taking a deep dive into how our work lives have influenced our perspectives as parents. So with that being said, I can't think of a better guest for today's session than my lovely wife and mother of our two beautiful children, Monica Arietta. Monica is a strategic advisor to Unity & Company, where she brings invaluable experience as a global program manager for some of the world's leading technology companies to help us provide leading-edge perspectives and strategies to our clients. She's also an experienced performance coach. She plays a vital role facilitating Unity's signature training programs and our executive coaching experiences. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, I thought we'd just have a pretty free-flowing conversation here about work and how it's impacted how we've shown up as parents, maybe as, you know, partners for each other and in other areas of our lives. But obviously parenting is the primary topic that really kind of comes to mind for me. Um and so I'll just go ahead and like kick off our discussion with like the first thing that came to mind for me. Um, and I've talked about this in multiple episodes in the past. We just had Jay Kerway, who's a consultant, actually a partner at Gallup Consulting, which is the company that developed this tool that I use. Um, I've used a lot as a corporate leader um, back in the day when I was like working for big corporations. Um, but I also use it now as part of my everyday work. And that's Clifton Strengths Finder. And um, for those of our listeners who are kind of new to the podcast or new to the idea of Clifton Strengths, Clifton Strengths is an evaluation that you can take. Um, uh, you can take it as an individual. You don't have to be affiliated with an organization or anything. Um, but it's basically based off of the idea that we're not universally good at the same things. Like we are all humans. We are all distinct. We all have distinct talents, gifts, and abilities. And I think we all understand this intrinsically, like deep down at a core level. But when we look around kind of at society, there's kind of this unspoken expectation that we all have to be at a similar level of competence at basically everything. Like if you if you think about school, like school is the big thing that I keep going back to, you know, there's there's a lot of expectation to be like a straight A student or like being a straight A student is something that we as a society like hold on a pedestal. It's something to be admired and kind of like fawned over. And, um, and that was certainly the background that I kind of was raised in, which was like, if you're intelligent, you're capable of getting straight A's, you should get straight A's. And, um, and the problem with the straight A expectation is that for me anyway, it was really hard for me to come to grips with the idea that I was not universally good or universally talented at everything and that not everything came as naturally to me um, as, as it does to other people and that that's okay. 
Right. So what StrengthsFinder basically says is, you know, you can't necessarily be anything that you want to be, um, but you can use what you are to be way more effective at what you choose to do. Right. And, um, and I think there's just so much freedom in that on so many levels. And I'll talk about a couple of them. Um, but the first is just this idea that of getting to know yourself and getting to know what you are intrinsically naturally good at. And instead of mitigating your weaknesses and spending your life chipping away at all of the things that are just a struggle for you, there's a different way that you can approach that equation. You can know the things that you are naturally good at that just come effortlessly to you that make sense on its face. Um, that your brain is just naturally kind of predisposed to believe um, and naturally predisposed to be able to do at a high level of quality. And once you know that, you can invest in your strengths and use your strengths to overcome your weaknesses rather than ignoring or taking your strengths for granted and using the extra bandwidth to mitigate your weaknesses. Right. And that was like a huge aha for me because for the formative years of my life, you know, trying to be a straight A student to make my parents proud. Um, and I'm glad I did it. It taught me stuff like discipline and hard work and focus. Right. So I'm not saying that it's, it's not a good aspiration to do well in school, but what I am saying, I think it's important to let kids know that, look, your effort, your focus, your discipline, like those are the hard things. Those are the redeemable skills that we want you to learn. But we also don't want you to lose sight of the fact that there are things that you're just naturally gifted at and that you need to know those things and you need to invest in those things. And if you invest in the things that you are best at, that's how you get to be world-class at something versus there's some statistic out there about how disproportionately straight A students are not necessarily like millionaires or billionaires. They're not the most successful people in our society. They're moderately successful, right? You know, we, we do a good job. Um, but you know, more often it's like, you know, the C students or the college dropouts that really end up tapping into their strengths and their passions and building something at a huge scale that like changes the way that we as humans live. And why is that? It's because they're not encumbered by this idea of spreading themselves so thin over everything that there is possible to do. They're very comfortable with their strengths. They're very comfortable with their passions and their motivations and they hire to their weaknesses, right? They're like, look, there are just certain things I'm not going to be, great at, that it's not an efficient use of my time to become great at. And so I'm going to hire somebody who is great at that. And so, gosh, like just a multitude of lessons here. So the first is, I think it's really kind of changed how I would naturally like parent my kids. Like I was, you know, parented um, with the best intentions from my parents with academic achievement as kind of the primary metric of success. And now when I think about our kids, um, instead of looking for raw brute force, like academic horsepower, I'm looking more for a mixture of intellectual and attitudinal slash behavioral things that they are just kind of naturally predisposed to and naturally strong at. And as I coach them 
through either problems that they're facing in life or challenges that they're facing in school, I try to use that understanding as a backdrop um, to really kind of like form, you know, like form my, uh, the, the things that I share with them in ways that will resonate with them as human beings and resonate with their lives. Um, so I'll stop there. Cause I feel like I've been talking for a while, but I don't, I don't know, like, um, Monica, I know that you and I have taken strengths finder assessments, um, many times like together. And I, I think you're also a fan, but I'm interested if any of that like resonates with you. Or yeah. You have a different I mean, I think that. it all resonates. And one of the things that came to mind as you were speaking about this idea of you're not going to be able to do just everything, right? Like you're not wired to be able to be great at absolutely everything. I think you brought this analogy up. I don't know if it was on the pod or if it was just us talking once, but you're like, look, I love basketball, but I'm never going to play in the NBA, right? And I think that's so important that we pass that on to our kids because there's so much pressure being put on them, you know, culturally, societally, in the classroom, um, in from their peer group to fit into this box, right? This nice, neat box that is easy to manage for other people. And I think that pressure can sometimes create this sense of expectation that they conform in a certain way. And I think one of the things that we try to do regularly with our kids is to celebrate their uniqueness, to celebrate the little quirky things that make them who they are, and to really understand what they're good at, what they're passionate about, and help them to explore, right? Not to put themselves in a box, but to open themselves up to looking for things that maybe they didn't think they would reach for because they didn't know that they were really inherently good at that thing, but helping them to experience a lot of different things as their kids so that they can marry that idea of what they're inherently gifted at and and wired to do with the things that light them up. So I think just being, you know, cognizant of what our own strengths are and what our kids' strengths are can help us help them navigate that a little bit better. 100%. Well, and as you were speaking, one of the things that really came up to mind for me is that, you know, I think a lot about the way that I was parented and I love my parents and I'm grateful to them for so many things about how they've set up my life for success. Right. But I also know that reflecting back on the way that I was raised, if, if our son, um, so our son has ADHD and, um, and that was not, you know, something that I really understood until I became a parent of a child with ADHD. And I personally do not have ADHD. And I came from a very kind of, you know, strict, like Asian, you know, like discipline and focus oriented household. And so the things, the cultural values that were really instilled with me are like the value of like hard work, the value of responsibility, the value of the community over the individual is kind of like um, a defining characteristic of um, like Eastern and Asian cultures more than they are here, like in the United States, where individualism is kind of something that is is more strongly reinforced here. 
Right. And so if I had just done what a lot of people do, which is kind of copy and paste the way that they were raised and make small tweaks to the way that they choose to raise their kids, I think that that parenting style would be fundamentally incompatible Mm -hmm. with our oldest child because of the ADHD. So for those of you who were like I was prior to my son being born, only kind of tangentially familiar with ADHD, ADHD is an an executive functioning disorder, which means in simplest terms that the part of your brain that knows what to do and the part of your brain that is responsible for doing it are often disconnected. Like it's really, really hard, um, even though these kids are smart enough to know what to do for them to actually get their bodies to follow through with that. So this morning we were having a conversation with Lucas and Monica had made him breakfast and um, he wanted to eat it. He knew that his day would be better if he ate it, but he said just very honestly, he's 11, just to paint the picture. He said very honestly, he's like, mom, I just don't want to do anything that you're telling me to do right now. And I mean, man, like if you were in my household growing up, that would have been met with some kind of like Mm -hmm. disciplinary consequence. But in our household, it's like, look, it's just kind of the truth of like who you are. Um, And thank you for being honest and vulnerable with us. And we had a conversation about how like, look, we get that this is harder for you because you have this executive functioning disorder. There are going to be times in life where you're going to need to develop the tools and capabilities to be able to push through, you know, this disassociation between knowing what to do and actually doing the thing. And so it's very important. And so we're starting him on that conversation now versus if I just raised him the way that I was raised, I'd have a set of expectations of him that I think would not be aligned to his strengths let alone his capabilities, right? Like forget his strengths. Like I think he's like physiologically incapable of being as compliant as Mm -hmm. I was as a child. And so what would that do to him if we continued along that path? Like that would create a set of expectations for him that he would never be able to meet and he would just continually feel crushed by the pressure of that. And he would never develop these skills and tools so that when he enters the workforce or has to find a way of making a living on his own, he would not have been able to practice the tools and techniques to develop those behaviors mm-hmm. in a safe environment, right? And um, and so I think that's the importance of like understanding that we are all built differently. And because we're all built differently, there is no one playbook. There is no one set of expectations. There's no Mm -hmm. one way, right? Like we as parents, and this is analogous to us as leaders, right? Within organizations, we need to find customized ways of individualizing our expectations and the way that we deploy or the expectations that we have for our teams and our families that are built around a deep understanding Mm -hmm. of like who they are, you know, at an individual level. And that Mm -hmm. starts with strengths, right? And I'll, I'll say this and I'll hand it back to you, Monica, for your perspective. But what I'd say about Lucas is like his raw intellectual horsepower Mm -hmm. is almost overwhelming. I mean, everybody who's met him is like this kid 
is a genius, right? But it's having like the most powerful weapon known to man, but there's no way to focus it, right? And so it's, um, that's, that's kind of where he is. And so like our charge as parents, like is to help him to gain the techniques and the perspectives that he needs to focus, you know, the raw power mm-hmm. in his brain so that, And once he figures that out, once he figures out what he is strong at and how to leverage that in a way that resonates Mm -hmm. with him and is easy for him, the kid's going to be unstoppable. But he's probably not necessarily going to climb Mm -hmm. the corporate ladder like I did. That's probably not his path in life. Like, I think actually Lucas is way more likely to invent the next big thing or create something that resonates with a large group of people. Like I think his path is going to be, it's going to look different from mine. And what strengths finder has taught me and my experience as a leader in organizations has taught me is Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know? And I think like too, too often we as parents are not okay with the idea that our children's path to success is going to be fundamentally different from our own. I don't know. What do you think? Am I no, no, you're, you're definitely, (laughs) you know, hitting a lot of really important points. And, you know, what I would add to that is kind of taking it back to how powerful StrengthsFinder can be. You know, StrengthsFinder even has an evaluation that kids can take. And I remember, you know, we, we're pretty open and honest with our kids about, you know, what we're, what we feel like we're good at and where we struggle. And we often talk about a lot of things that we're learning in the workplace and how that translates, you know, how we can translate that for kids in a way that resonates with them. So when I told Lucas that there was this assessment, right, to kind of highlight and spotlight what he was good at, he lit up because, you know, it kids who are neurodivergent like him, because they don't fit into this nice, neat box that's easy to manage, they often get a lot more reminders, they get a lot more criticism because they're challenging to deal with in some time, you know, in some cases. So to help reinforce the positive things about Lucas, the things that he's really good at was, I think, really important for him to kind of take that assessment, to take a step back and be like, oh, that's, those are the things I'm strong in. That's really cool. Right. Instead of looking at it like, hey, you're not picking up your clothes off the floor and getting them in your hamper fast enough. It's like, you know, it's not all about the stuff that he isn't doing. It's more focused back on, okay, how can we leverage what you're good at to be able to get you where you need to go? So he took the assessment and StrengthsFinder is really cool because for kids, they give you the top three strengths. And then they give you, as part of the readout, they give you kind of activities that you might want to encourage your kids to do that ladder up to those strengths. And as parents, I feel like that's really helpful because sometimes we don't, really know where the next step is. We might have some insight into what our kids are really strong in, but sometimes it stops there, right? And we don't really know what the next step is or or how to challenge them to lean into those strengths a little bit better. So I really appreciated that StrengthsFinder put that part together in the readout to give us some, you know, things to consider as we're trying to help Lucas lean into those strengths. Absolutely. All right. So, um, so that was kind of like my first, uh, big aha was just how formative the idea behind strengths finder or Clifton strengths 
has been to not only my perspective as a leader, but also my perspective as a parent and as a partner to you um, as well. I think early on in our relationship, we've been together for over 20 years. And so we met when we were really young. And, um, you know, I think when you meet somebody when you're a teenager, you kind of expect that the things that you have come to appreciate as virtues and strengths in your own life that you're also going to find those things in your partner, or at least that was an expectation that I had. And when I found Clifton Strengths later in our relationship, what I realized is that even though Monica, like you, as you know, as my partner and as my best friend, did compliment like a lot of the strengths and perspectives that I had, you also brought your own distinctiveness to the table, right? And I think like when you took the assessment. Um, it helped me to realize exactly like how different Mm -hmm. we are, right? And how even though there's like, you know, there's harmony and reinforcement in our strengths profiles, we're, Mm -hmm. we're not clones of each other. We think about things in different ways. We view things through different lenses and that impacts the ideas that we have, how we show up, you know, the, the outputs that we deliver, and how we interact with each other. And so, yeah, I think it's been probably the single biggest concept that has kind of like filtered through multiple Mm -hmm. areas of my life. Um, Well, and I think too, to add to that, it's so important that we also celebrate our own inherent strengths because it helps inform how we communicate things to our kids. Our perspectives are different. And and I know sometimes, especially when we're trying to help Lucas navigate through something really difficult, having the two of us there to sort of, you know, it, you know, uh, ping things back and forth between the two of us. If something's not landing with him that I'm saying, sometimes you'll step in and offer a different perspective. And, and I think that that teamwork and that in that way really helps Lucas to be able to, to take what we're saying and try to apply it in, in a way that makes sense to him. So. Mm, Absolutely. All right. Your turn. What's the, as you were reflecting on lessons that you've learned at work that have impacted how you show up um, in other areas of your life, uh, what's, what's the number one thing that came to mind for you? I have, I have a few, but I guess where I'll start is this idea of setting healthy boundaries right? I think early on in my career, and I've always been the type of person ever since I was a kid where I was constantly seeking to please other people, to to make myself, um, you know, look a certain way or, or act a certain way because I felt like that's what was expected of me in order to get respect. And as I started out early in, in my career, I was very much a people pleaser, right? Anytime anybody would come to me and ask me for something, it's like, sure, yep, I'll sign up. I'll do that thing. I can do it. And, and then it got to the point where I just didn't know how to say no, right? And I had taken on so much mm. that I couldn't really do anything really well because I was afraid to say no. I was afraid what people would think of me if I said, no, I can't do that thing. And... And so I think the way that that's translated as I've grown in my career, as I've grown as a person, is that you really need to take a step back and look at, are you uniquely qualified to do that thing, right? Is that resonating with you? Do I have the bandwidth to do it so that I can really do it well? And then if I've asked those questions and the answer is like, no, 
how do I approach that conversation with my boss to say, Hey, I appreciate you considering me for this, but I, I can't, I can't do that right now. I don't have the bandwidth or I really, that thing is not really exciting to me. It's not, it's not getting me where I need to go. Right. And, and we talk a lot about that with our kids. It's like, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, right? Not everybody is going to think that you're rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? It's okay if something is not resonating with you for you to say, no, that's not, that's not for me. And to be okay with the other person being uncomfortable with that. And it's tough to help kids navigate through that, especially when they're in this environment where they have a lot of pressure from their peers to do certain things so that they can appear a certain way and, and to not make themselves small in order to meet the expectations that other people have of them. So I think to kind of tie a bow around it, and then I'll, I'll kind of kick it over to you, babe, is this important, this idea of staying true to who you are and showing up in a real and authentic way, really trying to understand, is that thing for me? And if it's not being okay with saying, that's not for me. Mm. I love this idea of setting boundaries. I'm also <laughs> not very good at it. It's I hard. have not been. Um, I have not been great at it. Um, and you know what? Like, I also want to just validate listens, listeners out there because I do think that there's a stage in your career where it is really hard to um, to set healthy boundaries, right? And I think that it's dependent on a lot of things, right? Like, um, I think there there are there are stages in people's careers early on, you know, where you're trying to prove yourself. You have like an entry or a mid-career level mm -hmm. skill set, right? And you know that you're capable of more and you want to kind of reach for advancement. And in order to do that, oftentimes it's not just sufficient to be really great at the job you're doing. Like oftentimes employers will look for evidence of how you have sought to reach beyond the constraints of your day-to-day -day, and you've not only mastered your day-to-day -day, but you have these kind of emerging data points of how you are continuing to develop yourself on an extracurricular basis right and that's true even yeah. if you're in high school like applying for colleges right it's not enough to have a perfect score on your SATs and to have straight A's. They want to know, have you been involved in student government? Have you done, you know, um, ha have you done uh, like philanthropic, you know, community service activities? Like, have mm -hmm. you done like sports and kind of mastered another skill in your life? How well are you balancing these competing priorities? Right. And so, um, and so often, um, as you said, you brought up a couple of really good examples. Um, you, you will be asked and you will be tapped to do something more. And if your boss is good, they're not just delegating to you because they don't want to do it. They're strategically delegating because they know what your developmental goals are. And they're trying to give you the opportunity to kind of incubate new skills in a safe environment mm -hmm. under their tutelage so that you can, they can set you up for the next role. Sometimes your boss right. is just dumping stuff on you. <laughs> so you got to be careful of that. But I guess, you know, long way to the punchline here is there's a way to harmonize this idea 
of setting healthy boundaries, but still setting yourself Mm -hmm. up for future success. And I think that looks something like starting with yes, but, right? So if you get tapped by your boss to lead a project that will take up significant bandwidth for you and you don't think that you can do it and have effective work-life balance Mm -hmm. like during that period, and you've done this too, uh, Monica, like at various points in your life, you say something like, that sounds like a great opportunity. I can see how it contributes to like my future development and the development Mm -hmm. goals we've talked about. Um, I'll be happy to take it on given that you relook at the other things on my plate and help me reprioritize. You know, and I can take a first pass. I can tell you what can push to next quarter, what I think is not super important, but I need your sponsorship and your support to sign off on that so that you can play air cover Mm -hmm. for me, which is your job as my boss. You provide me with air cover so that I can do this thing and I can keep my, you know, boundaries in check and I can Mm -hmm. still kind of advance my career. Right. And I think you do this with the kids too, quite seamlessly, you know, where it's like, if they ask Mm -hmm. you for something that exceeds your bandwidth, there's kind of like a prioritization discussion Mm -hmm. that you naturally have with them um, to say, you know, Hey, if you want that, here's, here's the trade-offs you have to consider. Um, And I love how you do that because I think it just like engages their little minds and helps them kind of think about here's the macro picture. Here's all of the things Mm -hmm. that need to be done, but I have power and I have control and I'm partnering with my mom to kind of like figure out like what's, what's the way, what's the optimal way to kind of organize. Yeah, I would add to that too. I think what naturally comes out of those conversations is this concept of respecting other people's boundaries too, right? Because it's one thing to know what your boundaries are and to be able to advocate for yourself. And we really talk a lot with the kids about how to advocate for themselves, like at school with their peers. But it's also really important for them to keep in mind that other people have boundaries too, right? And if somebody is telling you, Mm. that's not for me, or hey, I don't really like it when you talk to me that way or when you say that thing or when you do that thing in my presence, it's important for them to pause and reflect and say, "Mm, okay, someone else is setting a boundary down and I need to be respectful of that. So for example, I was talking with Elena. We have these really fun little nighttime chats right before she goes to bed. It's like one of my most favorite parts of my day with her. And she'll open up and she'll talk to me about things that are happening at school. And she has been having a really hard time with this one little girl in her class who at the beginning of the year, they were really close. They would play on the playground every day. And this little girl would follow her around all over the place. And Elena had no problem with that at first. And recently, this little girl has been very vocal about wanting Elena to do certain things a certain way. And Elena's like, I don't want to do that. I, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And this little girl often responds with, well, then I'm not going to be your friend. Yeah. And that's a big deal for Elena because she wants to make friends wherever she goes and she does. And so that really hurt her. And this little girl continues to use that tactic as a way of trying to get Elena to do what she wants her to do. And so she came to me the other night and she's like, mom, 
I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. I don't know what, how to talk to this girl. Can you help me? Like, what do I say to her? I just don't like it. I don't want to be her friend anymore if she keeps threatening to not be my friend if I don't do what she wants. And so we had to have a conversation about, it's okay for you to say, I don't like it when you do that. That makes me feel sad, mad, frustrated, whatever the feeling is. Please don't do that again, or I'm going to have to go play with another friend today. And what I love about our daughter, who is seven, by the way, going on 25, is she she really listens. She takes the coaching. She takes the feedback. She asks really great questions. And then she goes and she tries it out. And then she'll come back to us and, and we'll kind of do a postmortem with her. Like, how'd it go? <laughs> you know, what did you learn? How did, how was it received by the other person? And then, you know, we may give her a little bit more direction and she'll take that back. But she's just, um, she's like a little sponge in that way. And I think, giving her the opportunity to really talk about how she's feeling and what is okay with her, what she's not okay with, and then giving her some direction has really been giving her confidence and being able to advocate for herself because she tends to be more on the people-pleasing side of things. She's like the peacekeeper in our house. Everybody has to be happy all the time. And she's the one that is kind of making sure everybody's all right. So for her to stand up for herself and and to advocate for what she wants is a big deal. And I'm already seeing so many good results from the conversations that we're having with her about that. Yeah. I love the fact that you're teaching her that now, right? Because I think you know, reflecting on how I was raised, you know, there was a lot of talk about responsibility. I was also the firstborn in an Asian household. You know, my parents had immigrated to the United States. And so I'm first generation born here in America. And so they took a lot of their cultural values um, stateside with them when they were raising us. And so on the positive side, I'm a highly responsible person, you know, because I was the firstborn, there is this thing about being the firstborn child, like in an Asian household where there's an expectation that you're like a parent apprentice, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you are the person that is expected to be responsible when, uh, when mom and dad are, you know, gone or, you know, can't, can't supervise and, and, uh, and things like that. Um, but I think the shadow side of that expectation, right. Is that it makes it a lot harder for you later on in life to set Mm -hmm. up healthy boundaries because you're so used to from an early age being responsible for, the care of your younger siblings and being responsible for helping to take some of the load off of mm-hmm. your parents, you know, by pitching in with the chores and, and stuff like that. And I think it's possible to harmonize both. Right. Um, but you can only really do that if you're getting mm-hmm. both lessons yeah. in equal proportion as you're growing up. And so I think our kids get the whole responsibility and mm-hmm. focus piece for me. And I think you're really good at teaching them about self-awareness, knowing and articulating what you're struggling mm-hmm. with, what you need and carving out space mm-hmm. to protect that and, and keep it in mm-hmm. balance. Right. And so um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that our kids have both. Of yeah, those perspectives, I am too. Sure. And I love what you were kind of just getting at towards the end of what you were sharing about this idea of balance. Right. 
And I think this is so true, no matter what environment you're in, whether you're in a workplace, whether you're running your own business, whether you're going to school, um, just kind of starting out in life, there's this push and pull constantly to try to find a balance between work and play and really taking sort of those values that were instilled in you by your parents at an early age of, you know, you get your work done and then you go play, right? I think we've tried to really instill that in our kids too. It's like, yeah, there is a time to work and get your stuff done, but there is a time to play, right? That both are equally important. And in the workplace, I think that's equally important as well. It's like you can't continue to just pile on working 10, 12-hour days and not expect that you're going to burn out eventually. And and how important it is to keep that in balance knowing that yeah, you've got to you've got to have some self-care in there. You've got to have some fun. Because if you don't, you're going to go a million miles an hour until you can't anymore and then you're not going anywhere. So I think helping our kids to understand that that balance needs to exist in all areas of their life and to constantly be checking in with themselves to say, am I finding that right balance? And it's hard. I mean, that's not anything anybody's going to solve until, you know, maybe they're well into their later parts of life because it's just tough. But I think our kids, the fact that we continue to come back to that and reinforce that with them is helping them to identify, okay, I'm tired, mom. I need a break, right? I need to go play. I need to go draw. I need to go watch, you know, a show. I need to go play video games. And then knowing that, that that break is just as important as cleaning their room or, you know, eating their breakfast or going for a walk or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really good insights. All right. Well, sorry for cutting our conversation a little bit abruptly. Um, this has been a really great conversation about how our workplace experiences have impacted other aspects of our personal lives. And um, we've got a lot more to share with you and unpack. We're going to stop our conversation here for this week. Next week, we'll have a part two of the discussion where Monica will go into a lot more detail about her own personal healing journey and how that has impacted how she has showed up as an employee and as a mom. 